Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today, whether you're here or catching us online. Um, so glad that you're a part of what's happening at Christ Memorial Church. I wanted to start by talking about growing pains. Growing pains are those muscular aches or pains that sometimes keep adolescent children awake at night, um, moving in their beds, usually happen in their legs. Uh, apparently, there's actually no evidence that these are actual real things associated with bones growing larger and, and muscles not growing, but they're, they're, they're real in, in some sense, and yet they aren't always said by doctors, like, yeah, that's actually, you know, they're real, but they're, they're not real. Growing pains are also, or is also, a, 85 to early 90s sitcom with Alan Thicke, Tracy Gold. And who is that? Is that little Leonardo DiCaprio? You see, it transcends all generations. Growing pains are also associated with business when businesses are either entering into, uh, just entering into business or they're trying to go in some sort of emerging market or they're recognizing that they need to change and retool in order to, to do something new. And so there's new staff, there's new training, there's new inventory and supply chain issues that you have to deal with, delivery and sales issues. And so growing pains is a term often also used in business to describe difficult times that folks have to go through. But metaphorically or figuratively, it's also something that happens in each one of our lives. When we find out something new about who we are, or something new about the relationships that we have with other people, or we find out or discover something new about reality itself. And we are invited to sort of live into a new thing, but that is, that is painful, that is challenging. We have to learn new rhythms and routines of life. Richard Rohr calls this, you know, falling upward and actually growing into the sort of second half of life. Now, if you ask me, I would suggest that our culture these days is actually grow is going through a period of growing pains. There are defining moments for each generation. There, there are a variety of them that, that talk about these are millennials because of this. These are Gen Xers because of this. These are baby boomers because of this. You know, these three things, whether it was a war, whether it was September 11th, whether it was the election of the first African-American president, whatever it might be. But I would say writ large, our entire culture is actually going through a season of growing pains. It's the technological revolution. We have information at our fingertips. So many things are being automated, convenient, and, and different things. But because we have access to any and all information at any and all times in our lives, what is happening is people are starting to deconstruct the old understanding of things. And then they are left trying to reconstruct, oftentimes on their own, new identities new purposes for their life, new understandings of the way the world works. And that, I think, is what has led to sort of this general malaise or this, this, the mental health issues that we're facing. It's all sort of a season of growing pains. The trouble is, most people, what they do is as they deconstruct those worldly values and worldly understandings of institution and reality and things of that nature, when they're trying to rebuild these things, whether it's their identity, their purpose, their understanding of the world on their own, they are doing so using just other worldly tools. And so we're defining who we are as people. We're defining what our purpose is. We're trying to discover all of these different things, but we're doing so on our own and on the in, still within the world's system. And we're neglecting the larger reality that 
there is a creator behind any and all of these things. Now, if you were to ask a child who is going through growing pains, if you're, you're, you go to your child and they're restless trying to sleep at night and things of that nature, and they say, please, will you pray to God that he would take away these pains? Let's suppose that God then said to that child, well, I could, but if I did, you wouldn't grow up to be big and strong like your mom or your dad. What do you think the child would say? I'm not really sure, but I would hope they would say, okay, I'll, I'll go through this. Or if you are a business person and you pray at night and say, God, take away all of these challenges and struggles that, that I have to go through as a business, and, and God would come down and say right to you, you'd say, okay, I can do that. But you're not going to grow then. You're not going to expand into new markets. You're not going to reach new people. You're not going to make a larger impact. What do you think you would say? You see, it's different depending on who you are, right? I think this is why growing pains happen to children. <laughs> because they have a long life expectancy in front of them. If you are a 30-something in business, you would probably say to God, okay, I'll go through this pain because I see the hope and the possibility and the potential on the horizon. But if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're in business and you're told that you have to retool and go through all kinds of pains to enter into this new market or, or your, your product is obsolete and you could do this new thing, what are you going to say? I think someone just waved at me like, bye-bye. You know, like, and, and maybe I just inferred that. Maybe that was the Holy Spirit working. But at a different age, at a, at a certain time, you'll say, I'm just not up for that. I'm not going to go through that pain. I'll sell. I'll get out. I'm, I'm just going to be the way that I am. And actually, psychologists have studied these things. And as we grow older, that's the reality of what we're doing. Now, here's the struggle. And this is where it leads into what we're going to be talking about today. The challenge is if this world has been deconstructing different values and deconstructing different systems and things of that nature, if we are indeed going through a season of growing pain in order to get to that other side, doing so with God and the gospel, and you and I are part of this solution where we have to say, God, is there something in me that you have yet to change? Is there a stretching that you want to do in me? And the question will just be whether we want to go through that or whether we say, nope, I'm stuck where I am. Because I look out, and I'll be real honest with you, Dan's in the other service today, so I can say this. Oh, wait, they're watching. Sometimes Dan says things, and I think, I think, come on, Dan, you're a little over the top. But he always says about this church, this is a sleeping giant. There is so much potential here. And I'm like, Dan, come on, you know? You know? But as I prepared for this message this week, and I look out at what's happening in the world, I'm like, there... This is. There is so much potential here. I'm looking out at you people, and I know some of you, the gifts and the talents that all of you have, and I am just like, God is just poised to use us in a profound way if we go through this season just of, of a little bit of a growing pain, of a challenge, of a stretching. And, and we're going to do that by going through the book of Romans. We're starting in Romans 1 today. We're going to cover 17 verses, but it's a, it's, a, it's a baseline. It's a benchmark. It's just the foundation of where we're going next. But, you know, in the history of churches, number one, the, the number one um, way revival begins is through prayer. And so that's why we did the beginning of this year talking about prayer. And I would suggest that the number one book of the Bible that has done more to transform the giants of our faith than any other is the book of Romans. This is what happened to St. Augustine in the fourth century 
when he was just having a really difficult time in life and then he heard this voice of like, get up and read. And, and upon reading a passage in the book of Romans, he said, no further would I read nor did I need for instantly as the sentence ended by a light as if, as it were, of security infused into my heart, all the gloom of doubt vanished away. And from that point on, Augustine became one of the saints that has transformed and shaped the thinking of Christianity worldwide, all from that night of reading from Romans 13. John Calvin said this, if we gained an understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. And Martin Luther, similarly, always sort of living the life of a monk but fearing God, said after, much, or after years of much prayer, meditation, and struggle, Luther discovered the true meaning of God's word. The righteousness of God is revealed. We're going to read that passage today. In the gospel is passive, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and had entered paradise. Each and every one of these people went through this time of struggle until the, the true gospel was revealed to them and they grew up into it and the world has not been the same ever since. And so Romans is written by a man named Paul. So as we get into this, let's just look at a couple things and I'm laying the base and then we're going to read this and everything will just start flowing together as we get there. But this man named Paul began as a man named Saul. And many of you have read this in the scriptures before. You know about his story. But one day he encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus. Let me just share with you for a moment how he recounts that story. In Acts chapter 26, he's talking to King Agrippa. He is being brought to Jerusalem to sort of give an account for the transformation that took place in his heart. He says this. Uh, eh, all right. <laughs> he, he's talking to them because he began as a persecutor of these followers of Jesus. He said, I too was convinced that I ought to do that, um, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul says, my previous life, I was at the pinnacle of my faith and religion. He recounts this also in Philippians 3. You can read that, but we use that all the time in church. I thought I'd go somewhere else. And he is like, I had everything in my life worked out. I knew my purpose. I knew the power of God. I knew the calling on my life was to be a faithful servant in Judaism and to persecute these Christians because they were claiming that this Jesus was God incarnate. And I did so. And then it says, on one of these journeys... I was going to Damascus. Here we go. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. 
we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I love that verse, and I don't really know why. But it's like, why are you pushing against what I am doing is essentially what he is saying. And Paul's response is, then I asked, who are you, Lord? His name was Saul at this point, it changes to Paul. Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. After I appeared to you, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn their hearts from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And now you can read the rest of this. This is Acts 26 and it goes in a variety of different forms, but this is the foundational story of Paul being transformed when he encounters the risen Lord Jesus with with light that virtually blinds him. It knocks him off his mule and he is told that I am going to change your life. Are you willing? You're at the top of your game, Paul. Are you willing to go through this growing pain? And he goes for three years to Arabia to study and to, to learn this newfound faith. And this then is what prepares him to write the letter to Romans. And it's the fuel for who he is and everything else he does. And so now, 15 minutes into it, let's get to the gospel or the epistle to the Romans. Romans chapter one, verse one. We're gonna go verse at a time. No, we aren't. Yeah, we are. Paul. Now he begins, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus. Let me see where I am in my little notes here. There. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I'm sorry, we got to stop right there. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, we've got to look for a moment at what some of these words mean, both to us today, but what they meant to the people back then. If you ask most Christians or most people in the church today, what does that word gospel mean? many of them would say something to this effect. The gospel or the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and he eventually died on a cross. He was buried. He did so to save us from our sins and he was raised to life and if we have faith in him, we too will be raised to new life after death. To which I would say, amen. That is absolutely right and It's not the whole story. It's a component of a larger story. You see, this is where the growing pain is going to come in a little bit, right? It's it's a part of an expansive story of what God is doing when Paul uses this word good news. Now, let me go back for just a minute and say what would good news have meant to the people in Rome? So Paul is writing this letter to a particular group of people and he's using particular language. Now, good news, if you've been around here, for a while, you know that in Greek, the word is euangelion. Let me hear you say euangelion. Thank you. 
beautiful job. You've heard that before. That is a, a combination of the word you uh, in Greek, which is good, and angelion, which is message or news or messenger, actually. And so the word is translated good news. Now, that word gospel or euangelion is not unique to the Bible. Especially in early times in Rome, it was the word that described the good news that a new Caesar or a new emperor was coming to rule, that the gods had blessed them with this new Caesar and the divine power came upon him and he will bring universal salvation to the world. So just, just note this, when Paul uses this word gospel to talk to them, they are thinking, wait a minute, we hear this word gospel, good news all the time. Because there are all kinds of these Caesars who had been you know, ruling through this time. Now, the question is, the, the, the thing that Paul is putting forth to them is, what is the true gospel? What is the true good news? Are these Roman emperors the true heralds, the true messengers, the true persons on whom the good news rests or falls? Well, first and foremost, from the beginning to Paul's time, there have been five of them. The first one was named Augustus. I mean, there was a Julius Caesar before him, but Augustus was the first one to take son of God and have all this good news and, and, and peace and everything goes through. Now, he of course accomplished his peace through brutal campaigns of military conquest across the known world. The, the Romans perfected ways of torture to bring people into their, into their nation, to subject people to them. And so the question is now, they provided them with bread and circus and entertainment and everything like that. But the question is, is this actually the one who the good news is about? Is it about Augustus? Well, because Augustus dies. And so far, no one on earth has seen him again. Now, after Augustus, of course, is Tiberius. Now, Tiberius came in and he murdered all of his rivals. And I'm sorry that I have to say this, but he was also obsessed with sex and perversion and literally went mad. And he died. Is Tiberius the good news? Well, I don't know, they keep saying, well, and then after him, they said Caligula was the good news, the good news that gods have blessed us with this rule, and then there's Caligula. Caligula was also a bloodthirsty emperor who killed for sport. He went mad. Again, he was obsessed with sex and sexual deviancy, and he also had his horse elected senator. <laughs> Is that the good news that brings about the salvation of the world, Right? And then after him was Claudius, and after him was Nero, who started normal, but then he murdered his mother, divorced and exiled his wife, started publicly torturing and killing anyone he was accused, and he was accused, uh, anyone he accused of not being loyal. He also was said to dress like the opposite sex and go and try and seduce people of the same sex. And I'm sorry, I know this is graphic, but here's the point. They are all heralded in the world as the good news the salvation, the source of, of being rescued and saved, peace throughout the all. Is that the good news? No, no. But I would suggest that the world is telling us the exact same thing, right? This is gonna be our salvation. This is going to rescue us. Power, might, fame, money, whatever it might be, these are the things that will rescue you. And so Paul is, is specifically using a word that they would have understood to say it is not this thing, but rather the gospel is good news, not a good suggestion, not good advice, but it is good news about something that has happened and because of which the world 
world has changed and salvation is found in this good news. Now, his hearers would not be unfamiliar with this idea. All right, let me take you to a couple passages. First Samuel 18, 31. Then the Cushite arrived and said, my Lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hands of all who rose against you. This is the word in Hebrew, basar. It means good news. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's not advice. It is an announcement that something has happened. God has delivered you. First uh, Kings one four two. Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, uh, arrived. Adonijah said, "Come in. A worthy man like you must be bringing good news. This is news. It's fact. It's an actuality. It's not just a suggestion. Like maybe think about following this Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a declaration that good news has happened. Are we through half of verse one? We'll get there. Again, laying the foundation today. Let me show you one other place that this comes up. Because Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews, he is steeped in the scriptures, and he is writing to people who would know what part of the Bible? The Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So if Paul is going to ground this in the plan and the purposes of God, he's got to find it in the Old Testament. Come with me just for a moment to uh, Isaiah chapter 39 Verse five, just just hear these words. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Isaiah is a prophet speaking for God, Hezekiah is a king. Stay with me, folks, we'll get there. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off into Babylon. In other words, you're gonna be conquered everything in this place is going to get wiped out and you're going to be subject to a, a, another ruler, another kingdom. I told him to get my instruct. No, I didn't. I told to all people. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. In other words, the sin is so great here in Israel that I'm letting Babylon come in and wipe you out. This is a growing pain. This is a defining moment. Hear with me how Hezekiah replies. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. In other words, not my problem. Do you get that? Like that's... That, not my problem. Leave that growing pain for someone else. But God won't leave them there. The next section is Isaiah 40, which some say starts another whole book. And it happens later on. And it's when the people are in Babylon, in exile, in their sin, in darkness, and in slavery and in struggle. And hear these words. Nope. Yep. This one. This one. You, actually, it begins by this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and she has received from the, uh, the, hand, uh, the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. It continues then here. Whoop. Um, 
You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now this is why we're doing all this. Look at, look at they have in their mind that there is a euangelion. There is good news that God has prophesied ahead of time. And what does it look like? Number one, your sins have been forgiven. You've paid double for all of them. Yep, yep, so that's a component of it. But now here it is, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. When the good news about God appears, God, God's self, will appear. That was in their mind. See, the sovereign Lord will come with power. He will rule with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young And and so when Paul writes the book of Romans and he begins talking about the gospel or the good news, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second, when he talks about those things, he is doing two things at the same time. He is sticking his thumb in the eye of the world and saying, your message does not deliver. Power, fame, might makes right, strength, wealth, any of those things that will not work ultimately to bring you salvation and peace and healing. But there is good news and it is promised by God ahead of time. Long before any of these Caesars took over, there is good news that God is going to return and God is going to continue his plan of salvation by sending his own self. He will come. This continues then in Isaiah 41. We're getting there. But you, Israel, my servant, hold that word in your mind, servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Why was God Abraham's friend? Because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's a lot of things y'all are holding in your head right now. Sorry, just hold that last one. I took you from the ends of the earth. From the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. Why would he have to say this if it was an easy process? It's not. Uh, but I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So everyone in Paul's day would have been like, when is this gonna happen? When is this good news? When is God going to show up? When is the gospel going to become a reality that God will return and continue his work of salvation and restoration among our people? Paul begins Romans 1 by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, a servant was just used in Isaiah 41, called or chosen to be an apostle. Wait a minute, that also was just used in Isaiah 41 and set apart for the good news or the gospel of God. Now, wait a minute, where do we know that from? That comes from Isaiah chapter 40 and actually a variety of other places in the text. 
And this is what he's saying. To the good news that's preached in this world, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. You're a descendant of Julius Caesar. You're a descendant of Caesar Augustus. You're a descendant of Tiberius. That's nothing. This Jesus who came was a descendant of David all the way back and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed. Now I know if you're like me, you have a little problem with that word. What do you mean he was appointed the son of God in power? That word in Greek can actually mean defined, predetermined, determined, or proved. He was proved to be the son of God in power through or by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what happened to Paul on that road. He knows that Jesus died as a messianic person, but, but you know, he died. No one saw him again. But through the power of the resurrection, he came to understand that he was the one to save. The gospel is not about Jesus. Paul's insistence is that the gospel is Jesus. Now, let me just, let's just keep going on. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship. We have received grace, we've seen that, we received that forgiveness, that mercy, but also purpose and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that come from faith for his name's sake. So again, this is a gift that is given by faith. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I just want to assure all of you, if you weren't Jewish and you weren't part of this plan of God, God has now established through Jesus that you're part of it. You are welcome. And not only that, but to all who in Rome who are loved by God, not just tolerated by God, not just whatever. No, 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 no. You are loved, cherished by God. And all of this, friends, all of this language is way back. God choosing Israel and bringing them out of Egypt, saving them and rescuing them, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, set apart, different, unique, grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just keep going. First, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because, of your faith, because your faith is being reported all over the world. You see, because part of this gospel, this good news, is not that God just started something new in Jesus, but rather in Jesus, God's plan that harkens all the way back to saving us after sin, to calling Abram, who says, and he says to him, I will bless you, and through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. So how is God enacting God's kingdom, his power, and his plan in the world? Through people. And he hasn't given up on it. He's not like, oh, never mind. You people stink. Can't stand you people. I'll just send Jesus and then we'll make it okay. And then, no, 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 no. I'm sending Jesus because Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is the purpose of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the new Adam, the firstborn of creation that by faith in him, then you too will be empowered to go and be a blessing to the entirety of the world. The good news is that in Jesus, God has shown up, has not given up on the world and says each and every one of you have a very new purpose in life, but the kingdom of Jesus looks different from the kingdom of the world. We continue, I long to see all of you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong because this isn't easy, right? We need encouragement in this. We need reminders. 
pleasures. We need stretching. This is a growing, painful thing. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Look at this. The guy who wrote like the entire New Testament is like, hey, you guys got something to teach me too. You see, this is the good news of the gospel, that it's a family thing, that we're all in this together. Let's continue. Um, I do not want you to be aware, brothers and sisters, unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the Gentiles. For I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And now there's the exclamation point at the end of it. He says this, for I am not ashamed of this gospel. Now, you got to understand, you go into Rome where there's these massive coliseums, there's these cobblestone streets, there's these, these places to worship the emperor all over the place, there's soldiers, there's garrisons, there's, there's all kinds of things. Everything would be screaming at you, the good news of the peace brought to us by Augustus, by Tiberius, by Nero, any of these things. But Paul walks in and says, I'm not ashamed of my message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's not even my message. It's the message about Jesus. Wait a minute, Jesus? You mean that guy like way down there in Israel who we nailed to a cross? What, what does that have to do with anything, Paul? Like, good luck. Like, he's a loser. He lost. And Paul's like, nope. I am not ashamed of this. I'm not stepping back from this. I'm not building my life on anything other than this because I have seen him face to face. He is alive and kicking. And he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Wait, 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 you mean the gospel that says turn the other cheek? The gospel that says go, you know, when, when someone forces you to go one mile, you go two? The one that says blessed are those who mourn? The one that says blessed are the peacemakers and things of that? Like that, he's like, that's right. I am not ashamed because this kingdom, this gospel, this good news, this new identity is built off being a slave and a servant to all. This is how God will rescue all of humanity, not through strength, not through power, but by through you and I becoming servants and slaves of this beautiful Lord Jesus who has rescued and redeemed us and going out to tell others and to do other things because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's this weird thing. As we yield, God's power shows up. The world does not believe this. The world does not operate this way. But this is what is shown to us in Jesus. That when God himself shows up, you and I as human beings kill him. Because we don't like this. We don't like this idea. It's not natural to us. But God's like, not giving up. I do that to show you how messed up this system is. And then I'm raising him from the dead and I'm saying, if you just believe, if you just have faith that Jesus was my son, that Jesus is God incarnate, that Jesus is the good news through whom the world will be blessed, I will transform your life and my power will show up in you. And then he ends, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The holiness. There has been punishment for sin, but there is also grace, mercy, and great love shown to all. A righteousness that is what? Not by works, but by faith from the first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
the rest of Romans is going to be Paul explaining this gospel. All right? So that's why I had to start here. This is why we had to get these things. But the rest of it is all about Paul explaining the best news the world has ever heard. And I wanted to lay that as a baseline. Now, what are we going to do? This is my encouragement to each and every one of us. I believe we're poised for growth. I believe that God has, is, is blessed, has blessed, and will continue to bless this congregation. What I want us to do is I want to take that prayer initiative that we just did, encouraging us to pray more and more, and I want to invite you as we go through the book of Romans, just pray with us through Romans. Because over the course of time, no book probably in the New Testament has transformed both the followers of Jesus and the rest of the world more than this book. Friends, we're gonna come to Easter and it's gonna be epic. Where's Steve? Steve, it's gonna be epic. Steve loves the word epic. Adam, whatever you got in dwell, man. Um, It's gonna be epic. And so come with us on this journey. Pray to God and say, God, in my life, I am willing to endure some growing pains, but reveal this good news of the gospel to me so that through me, Jesus' light shines into this community so that salvation can go to the ends of the earth. My time's up, let's pray. Father, from time to time, we need these reminders. It's not an aspiration of who we want to be, Lord, but rather it is your word telling us who we are. We are sinners, and yet we are saved by grace. We are rebellious and stiff-necked, and yet you call us your daughters and your sons. Lord, the good news is that you have shown up, that you are the righteous one, that Christ is the righteous one who shows up and has the true message of redemption, of blessing, and salvation and rescue for all of the world. It is an upside-down kingdom that Jesus himself announced and then lived into and who you raised from the dead by your power to prove, to, 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 to establish infinitely that he is God in the flesh, and that if we, simply by faith, will believe and place our trust in him, we too will be saved and rescued and part of your plan to change the world. Lord, we pray all of these things, not in our own strength, for we are weak, but when we are weak, you are strong, and so we pray them in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.